Hello and welcome to this episode of By His Word. I am your host and teacher, Candy Carmichael. One of the topics that we rarely hear in churches today is that of eternity, whether eternity past or eternity future, as well as related topics such as the creation of time. Most people are simply interested in the here and now. It is very hard for human beings to imagine anything having no beginning or no end. We can only think of things in relationship to time, which is generally linear. We are unable to fully comprehend that time is only a minuscule fragment of eternity. We wonder where we came from, how the universe began, if there is a divine creator who made it all, and where did he originate? If there is a God, is he a good God? Does he have any relationship to us as humans, or does he care about our lives? What, if anything, is beyond life on earth? All of these questions and more are asked by nearly everyone on earth at some time in their lives. When I was a small child, I thought that we lived under a giant dome that was blue during the day and black at night. The stars were just lights inside the dome. I used to wonder what it was like behind the dome. If there was a giant wall, what was behind the wall? Occasionally, some pastors may speak about life after death and living with God forever. But what about those who have never heard about God or, th- or those who don't believe in life after death? Is there a wo- reward for good people who believe in God, and is there punishment for those who lead evil lives and harm others? The topic of eternity is a large one, and it is necessary to break it down into smaller segments to gain some understanding of it. The Bible speaks a great deal about the topic, but before getting to the subject of eternity future and a life after death, we need to lay a foundation in eternity past. To do that, we turn to the first book of the Old Testament, which is Genesis. Though the book of Job is probably the first one written, Genesis tells the story of the creation of the universe and the recreation of the earth along with its very early history. Other books fill in the gaps of what occurred before the recreation of the earth. We will explain that a little later. Genesis is listed first because it speaks of the beginning. The first verse, Amplified Version, says this, In the beginning God, Elohim, created, by forming from nothing, the heavens and the earth. The Bible does not say when the beginning began. Neither does it say where God came from. It merely states the fact that in the beginning there was God. It is written as a statement of fact, period. The other thing it says is that Elohim, a name that implies his tripart nature, created out of nothing everything that is in the universe. Obviously, a being with unimaginable ability and intelligence designed and created the universe, including all of the galaxies, with billions of stars, the planets, and their rotations, their moons, and assured those rotations and positions to maintain their existence. Apparently, the earth was the crown jewel of God's creation, because the story of its creation and recreation and all that occurred on it after the creation of man is the story of the entire Bible. Verse 2 in the Amplified Version says this, The earth was formless and void, or a, or a waste and emptiness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, the primeval ocean that covered the unformed earth. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, or brooding over the face of the waters. The word was in this verse is better rendered became. In Hebrew, the phrase is tohu vabohu, which means waste and emptiness. It shows that the earth had no clearly discernible features at the time, but was just a water-covered mass. Most scholars who study these biblical passages believe what is called the gap theory. This 
proposes the idea that there was a gap of time between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Something cataclysmic had to have happened to the earth after the original creation to have caused it to become a formless wasteland. It does not make sense to think that a powerful, creative God would make a shapeless mass in the middle of his structured universe. More on that later. The question remains, when was the beginning? We don't know. The Bible does not tell us anywhere in the book. It only states that there was a beginning. The next question would be, where did God come from? Again, the answer is that we don't know. He just always has been in existence. As finite human beings, that that is impossible for us to comprehend. We are asked simply to believe that He has always been and that He is the creator of everything that we can see. As we get into the study of this, it will be easy to see the goodness of His character and His deep love for all of His creation, especially the one who is made in His very own image, man. So what can we know about everything before life as we know it now? I remember driving home from church one night as a young Christian, and I was meditating on the distant past. Not really expecting an answer, I said aloud, God, what was it like in the very beginning before anything was created? Immediately, he answered, lonely. I was startled at his reply. Obviously, he wanted companionship. We cannot conceive of God always existing and what everything was before the universe was created. Certainly, he lived somewhere before our universe existed. He would not have lived in nothingness. But at some point, whether it is described as the Big Bang or the moment of creation of our universe, everything that we know now as the physical universe came into being. When Job was enduring his trial from Satan and his three friends were trying to rationalize why Job was experiencing this, God put them all to shame with his brilliant line of questioning. He said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? Job 38, 4-7. Those were questions that Job obviously could not answer. It showed him the mighty power of God's original creation and the fact that the sons of God, which is a term for angels, were present at the creation of the universe. Another verse that shows that the term refers to angels is found in Job 1, 6, and 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. A third reference, which will be discussed later, is found in Genesis 6, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all they chose. Since there was a distinction between the sons of God and the daughters of men, this verse refers to angelic beings who took on human form to produce a hybrid race that later had to be destroyed because it corrupted the human DNA and the future bloodline of the Messiah. Isaiah states this about his original creation of the earth. For the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it, He established it, and he did not create it to be a wasteland, but he formed it to be inhabited. And he says this, I am the Lord, and there is no one else. Isaiah 45, verse 18. 
The Apostle Peter speaks of the existence of the earth prior to the cataclysmic flood before its recreation. For they willingly forget the fact that the heavens existed long ago by the word of God and that the earth was formed out of the water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water, 2 Peter 3, 5 and 6. Science has proven that the earth itself is billions of years old, and some say as much as 13.8 billion years. Yet the Bible states that man has only been on the earth a little over 6,000 years. So how do we account for the eons of time before man appeared on earth? To find the answer, we look at the writings of the Old Testament prophets. The prophets implied that there was some type of civilization on the earth prior to the appearance of man, but that it was destroyed when the earth was suddenly covered with a flood over its entire surface. Jeremiah describes it this way, I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all of its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. Jeremiah 4, 23 and 22, 27. Jeremiah had been taken back in time to see the distant past and to have a vision of how the earth became a formless mass and desolate of any life. But it is obvious from this passage that there had been life on earth before this event. Birds had fled and cities were broken down. If there had been cities, then someone had to have built them. When Job was told by God that the sons of God uh, referred to angels and sang for joy, then they were among the earliest of God's created beings. So what is an angel? Most people think of supernatural beings in long white robes who have wings and generally fly around in heaven. But the Bible has a far greater description of them and of their relationship to men. First of all, angels are created spirit beings who exist in the spirit realm, including heaven. According to Hebrews 2.7, man was created a little lower than the angels in, res in respect to power and ability. There are different categories of angels in the Bible, such as seraphim, cherubim, and archangels. According to Isaiah 6, 2 and 6, seraphim surround the throne of God. Cherubim have other duties, such as the ones who guarded the tree of life after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Cherubim also were on top of the mercy seat on uh, the, and the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament temple and the tent. Lucifer, later known as Satan, was also a cherub. Michael is defined in Scripture as an archangel, and he is also called the prince and protector of the nation of Israel. He is a powerful warrior angel who fights against demonic principalities. Gabriel is another angel mentioned by name who is described as the messenger angel. He brings messages to people directly from God, such as the announcement to Mary that, he, that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Unfortunately, not all of the beings who are angels are good. While God created them, they received the ability to choose. In other words, they have free will just as humans have the power to choose good over evil. And this is where the curse of the desolation of the first earth began. The prophet Ezekiel is giving a prophecy in the 28th chapter of his book that is the first that is first against human king, but then transitions to the spirit behind this king. 
is a glimpse into eternity before time began when Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub who guarded God's holiness and was most likely the praise leader of the worship angels around God's throne, fell into sin and lost his position. Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities and by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Ezekiel 28, 12-18. From the description at the beginning, it states that you were in Eden, the garden of God. It is obvious that the prophet is not speaking of the human king of Tyre, which was a city in Syria. Lucifer, whose name means Daystar, or son of the morning, was created in perfection with wisdom and beauty that surpassed any other, human, any other beings. He was adorned with precious stones as a covering and literally made music as he walked. He was the anointed cherub who flew close to God's throne and led in musical worship. Notice that the Bible states that Lucifer was perfect in his ways from the day of his creation until iniquity was found in him. Before continuing with the analysis of this passage of scriptures, let's turn to another prophet who explains the root cause of iniquity being found in Lucifer. The prophet Isaiah describes this cherub's fall in the following way. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, and th is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, and who did not open the house of his prisoners? Isaiah 14, 12 to 17. Now we're going to take a brief break, and you can find out how you can be witnesses to people in 177 countries around the world. We will be right back. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world. 
Welcome back. We were talking about the prophecy in Isaiah about Lucifer. The prophet reveals the original sin that brought about Lucifer's downfall, which was pride. He became so impressed with his own wisdom and beauty that he actually thought that he could be like God. With all of his wisdom, Lucifer forgot that he was a created being and could never be as wise or as powerful as God. He did not have, he did not True, be, he was not able to overthrow the Lord. He just said that he would be like God and, and have power with God. However, God did not agree with Lucifer's ambitions and expelled him out of heaven. Notice the I will statements that Lucifer's pride generated. I will ascend into heaven. Number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. This does not refer to literal stars, but rather to the stars in references to the other angels, who are sometimes called stars according to Revelation 12.4. Number three, I will sit in the mountains of the congregation of the sides of the north. It is interesting to note that there is a huge blank area in the northern part of the sky where no stars are visible. This is the likely passageway to the throne of God in the north. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And five, I will be like the Most High. Very lofty statements from one who is a created being with limited powers. Now let's look at the rest of this passage and then compare it with the last part of Ezekiel's vision of Lucifer. The prophet states, Is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who shook kingdoms and made the world a wilderness? This prophecy references a time before the creation of man, and yet it speaks of kingdoms being shaken and the world made a wilderness. In Ezekiel 28:17, it says that Lucifer was cast to the ground and laid before kings. In verse 18, it says that he defiled sanctuaries by the multitude of his iniquities and by the iniquity of his trading. In other words, there were civilizations that lived on the earth and Lucifer was conducting financial transactions among them. Since Jesus described Satan, or Lucifer as he was previously known, as a liar and a thief, then this eventually ruined the commerce of those nations. Lucifer was not alone in his arrogance and in his rebellion against God's supremacy. He was apparently very persuasive and convinced one-third of the other angels to follow him in rebellion. This is referenced in Revelation 4, which describes Satan as a great red dragon whose tail drew a third of the stars or angels of heaven and cast them to the earth. Most likely, these fallen angels were also part of the worship team of heaven, which had been led by Satan. This could be one reason why Satan hates and seeks to disrupt worship among the saints of God. When God cast Satan out of heaven because of Satan's rebellion, it literally made the earth a formless wilderness. We don't know how long the previous civilizations were on the first earth, how long Lucifer was the anointed cherub before his fall, or how, how long it took for him to corrupt the earth. The Bible also does not tell us how long the earth was a dark, formless mass before the recreation of the earth began. But this was the backstory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 in the far distant past. It brings us up to the time when the Spirit of God began to hover over the des desolate planet, and this is where time, as we know it, began. We don't know if Satan and his cohorts wandered throughout the universe or what they did after being banished from the presence of God. But at some point, they noticed that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the earth that had been there for untold ages. Something was obviously about to happen. On the first day of creation, time began. God didn't actually create anything new. He simply spoke light into existence and distinguished it from darkness. 
Since Jesus was with God in the beginning and he was the light of the world, his very presence brought light to a darkened world. Notice that this was a divine light. It was not the light of the sun. God simply said, light be, and the darkness vanished, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Everyone except for Jews starts a new day at midnight, but in God's concept of day and night, a new day starts at sunset. On the second day, God divided the waters above the earth from the waters below, and and the sky appeared. Next, God set the boundaries of the oceans, seas, lakes, and rivers, and the dry land appeared. Again, he did not create something new. The waters and the land were already there, but he put them in order, most likely as they had been in the previous civilization. Once the land appeared, God committed, commanded it to bring forth grass, herbs, and fruit trees. Notice that the seed was already in the earth. God commanded it to reproduce, and the land flourished once again. This was all done on the third day. On the fourth day, God created the sun, moon, and stars and set them in their rotations. The sun was to give light during the day, and the moon was to give light at night. Not only did the sun and the moon determine days and years, but along with the stars, they were given for signs and seasons. The word for seasons is the Hebrew word moed, which means an appointment or appointed time. We will discuss this more at a later time. On the fifth day, God made the earth to abound with living creatures in both the oceans and on the dry land. Each creature had the ability to reproduce just as the trees, herbs, and flowers had seeds within themselves to reproduce. Every day for the first five days, God stepped back to look at what he had made and pronounced it good. But then came the sixth day, and the spirit world, both good and evil, began to pay much closer attention. Everything that they had seen up until now had already been present on the earth before the great flood covered it, but now it looked as if an entirely new creation was being formed. All creation watched as their creator knelt in the dust of a garden and began to shape something in the form of a man. He was perfectly formed and magnificent in his appearance, but he lay perfectly still on the ground from which he had been made. Then God bent over the man and gently breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man opened his eyes to look into the face of God. After Adam named the animals, and God saw that Adam had no counterpart, as did the animals, God put Adam into a deep sleep and removed one of his ribs. From this, God created a woman and presented her to Adam as his wife. Then God stepped back, very satisfied, and said, Now it is very good. And the sixth day of the, cre- of the recreation of the earth was now complete. Time had been carved out of eternity, and history began to be made. The Bible does not say how long Adam and his wife Eve lived in the Garden of Eden before Lucifer made his appearance in the garden. Since everything was perfect at that time, the living creatures in the garden may have had the ability to speak. The Bible describes the creatures who came to Eve as a serpent. The Amplified Version describes him. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, and skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, who was Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree that is in the garden? Genesis 3.1 Eve was obviously not afraid of this creature, who was upright and did not have the appearance of the reptiles that we see today. Neither was she startled that the serpent could talk to her. Perhaps she and Adam had seen the creature before, but had not had any conversation with it. Again, the Bible does not give any background information on this. Eve answered the serpent in this way, 
We may eat fruit uh, from the trees of the garden, except for the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, lest you die, Genesis 3.3. Eve freely talked with the servant, serpent and related God's instruction to him regarding what they could eat and added the phrase, nor touch it, which was not in the original words from God. I've long wondered if Adam and Eve understood what death was, since they lived in a perfect world where death was non-existent. If they had not gotten an explanation of it from the Lord, then perhaps they did not have a deep fear of disobeying God's command and knowing the penalty that would follow. But because Adam and Eve had been given the gift of free will, Adam Satan, in the form of the serpent, saw a way to take advantage of this and attempt to destroy God's ultimate creation, human beings. The serpent presented himself to Eve as more knowledgeable about God's intention than Eve knew herself. First, the serpent contradicted God's word. But the serpent said to the woman, You will certainly not die, for God knows that on the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will have greater awareness. You will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The serpent was successful in planting a seed of doubt in Eve about God's reasons for forbidding them to eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. He appealed to her senses of sight and touch and to her desire to have some of the same knowledge as God. So Eve took some of the fruit but and bit into it. Immediately, her spiritual eyes were opened, and she knew instantly that something had changed. Adam could not help but see that something was now different. He had obviously been in the vicinity and heard the conversation between the serpent and his wife. So why did he not intervene to stop his wife from eating this fruit? He just stood by and watched the deception unfold and Eve disobey in front of his very eyes. Now, as Eve held out the fruit to him, Adam was faced with an agonizing choice. If he refused to follow Eve in her disobedience, he would lose her. But to what? He too may not have understood the ramifications of their disobedience. But if he joined her in eating the fruit, then they both would have to face the great displeasure of the God who had created them, given them a life of perfection, and only had one restriction upon them. Finally, Adam made the choice, deliberately, to eat of the fruit. He was not deceived. He knew what he was doing and that it was intentional disobedience. But he loved Eve enough to follow her, even if God banished them both forever from the garden. Because Adam's act was deliberate, this is why the Apostle Paul wrote that by one man, sin entered into the world. Romans 5, verse 12. Now that their awareness was greatly increased, they realized that they were naked and they made a feeble attempt to cover themselves with fig leaves. They did not realize that from that moment on, they had begun to die physically, although the process would take hundreds of years for them at that time. But even more subtle was the beginning of the spiritual decay. Their close fellowship with God was now broken, and they were forced from their perfect living conditions into, from in the Garden of Eden and made to survive outside of it and to grow food as best they could. God knew that they needed clothing, so he demonstrated what death would be like by killing some of the animals and by making clothing of skins to cover their naked bodies. 
It must have been horrifying to see this first sacrifice, but they did not realize at the time that this was actually a type and a shadow of what the coming Redeemer would have to go through in making the sacrifice for us. But God also did not leave them without hope of redemption. So after pronouncing his judgment on them and upon the serpent, God said to them all, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and that is a hostility that could never be resolved. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is actually a prophetic declaration of the type of death that Jesus would would eventually have, because Satan would bruise his head on or bruise his heel on the cross, but because of the of Calvary, Jesus himself would literally bruise the head of Satan and crush him forever. It would be thousands of years before this Redeemer would come, but he did come. So the promise itself became a timeline within a timeline. Now we're going to talk more about this in the coming lessons on eternity, but until that time, keep looking up. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world.